Time to get those bonus miles. Here's your girl, Autumn Miles. Okay, you guys, we got a heavy hitter today. And I say it's a heavy hitter um, because I want to tell you a little backstory about why we have my guest on today. Um, Y'all know that I have major back problems, so I do the elliptical machine. Otherwise, I wouldn't work out <laughs> at all. I barely even call it working out. It's 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 really just a means to me not feeling like I'm 41 years old. I'm on my elliptical. I get off my elliptical. I walk by in where I have my elliptical in our storage little place. I have tons of books that people have sent me um, for to do interviews and stuff like that. Not even kidding. I just got a pitch from our guest. Her book was laying on the floor. Her last book was laying on the floor. And I just talked to the team about having her on. And it was as if God said, this is your guest. You need to have this guest on. And so I was like, okay, Jesus, I will have her on. So that is my little story um, for having on our guest today. Her name is Ashley Abercrombie. Welcome to the show, Ashley. How are you? I'm doing great. And I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Isn't that the craziest story ever? Yes. It's so awesome. And so like God. <laughs> it's so like God, because we're yeah. praying about guests and we're you know, we don't have a lot of guests on, but the ones that we have on, I really, I, I love the message. And when God is like, here is the answer to your question on my mm. floor. It was just crazy. I think I even messaged you back that day. And I was like, we've got to get you, you on. You did. It was so, I'm telling you, it was like a God thing for me too. So it was really, it was really cool to see the response and the connection there. I'm the very funny grateful. thing about, it, I didn't even know what the book was about. At that point, <laughs> I knew we had gotten a pitch and I was like, yeah, let's have her on. No problem. And then I get the press kit and I'm like, this is why we're having her on. Way to go, God. So, so your book is called Love is the Resistance. Learn to disagree, resolve the conflict you've been avoiding and create real change. I'm obsessed already. I have so many things to say, but you tell me. Why did you write the book, Love is the Resistance? Yeah, so it kind of came out of, you know, at the end of my first book, I began to hit a few of these topics. And then I kind of had it in my heart. I'm like, you know what? We're dividing into all these echo chambers. We are factioning off. Everything is fractured. Folks are just doubling down in pride. I'm watching people fight on the internet. I'm watching myself do it sometimes. And I'm saying, <laughs> like, you know, wait a minute, what is happening? And I really felt like, you know what? We need a better witness, a better public witness in the church, in the beloved community of Christ. And I wanted personal freedom for people because I realized nobody knows how to do conflict and nobody knows how to own own their yes. stuff and to tell the truth and hold good boundaries and be kind because these are people made in the image of God. And so for me, I really wanted to write this to help people and to help the church grow in its public witness and to help us be able to understand people who don't look like us, think like us, act like us, vote like us, or live like us without demonizing them, villainizing them, or you know, speaking as though they are not made in the image of God. I wanted us to have a little bit more fear and reverence and awe and wonder of God and of his creation than we have right now. <laughs> okay. Is everyone listening right now giving a big fat amen? I can't even handle my life. This is something that needed to be confronted. People have lost their ever loving minds Correct. on the internet. 
yes. Christians, Bible yes. believing. I'm saved by grace. P.S. You're saved by grace. Yes. Christians are going at people like neck. I mean, I mean, they're out, out for total blood. I mean, it 100%. is so crazy. And what I think I, I, I am right there with you. I think we are losing um, the precious that precious gift that we have to share with people yes. because we are opening our mouths too often and they it is not seasoned with salt at all. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I, I began, you know, I've lived in Manhattan. I now live in Los Angeles. And so these are both cities, particularly Manhattan, where, you know, there isn't a church culture. There isn't a Christian culture that sort of dominates. And so you can actually really see the true perspective of how unbelievers view us. And for me, that was a real wake up call to see, wow, like they do not see us as loving. There is nothing about us that seems loving to them. They think we're hypocritical. They think we're judgmental. They think we're anti everything on the earth. And I thought, wait a minute, this is, this is a great disconnect from the believers I know in my life who are generous, who are kind, who would give you the shirt off their yes. back, who will show up. You know, they, they like, they're baking casseroles when somebody passes away. They're showing up at two o'clock in the morning when somebody's going through hell in their life. Like these are the true believers that I know. And there was such a gross disconnect due to the religious and public and political rhetoric and the way folks were just doubling down on issues that really, frankly, they don't know very much about and they're regurgitating things they hear in the news and regurgitating things they hear from pundits. And I just thought, gosh, this it's, this is not the way. It's not the way. We don't have to be this way in the world and we need to do better. <laughs> so this is a quote that actually came from your press kit that I thought was really interesting. And you can give me a backstory on where this is, but it says, um, when non-Christians were asked how they viewed Christians, they overwhelmingly said that they were, get this guys, a hostile group of judgmental hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> While our worth does not rely on worldly opinions, the messaging is clear. Um, we need to be more loving. That is yeah. a very rough sentence. Yeah. Let me read it again for the people in the back. We are a hostile group of judgmental hypocrites. Oh, ouch. Mm -hmm. How do we change that, Ashley? What do we need to do in order to change that perception? Yeah. So, you know what? I'm 18 years sober this year from drugs and alcohol abuse and eating disorders, perfectionism, dysfunctional relationships, all the things that I've worked so hard for for almost 20 years of sobriety. And one of the reasons that wow. I love the recovery community is that the recovery community leads with brokenness and they lead with story. We don't start out, you know, pretending that we're perfect or holding a standard over other people of perfection. But we start out saying, you know what, I'm very in touch and in tune with my brokenness. And that doesn't make me afraid. And it doesn't make me, you know, a bad person. It just means that the reality is I'm not perfect. And I think because of that, we're able to, you know, suspend judgment with others and offer empathy for the context from which they are living that is different than ours mm -hmm. and allow room and space for people to be who they are. And I think part of what we're missing in the public witness of the church is that tenderness of understanding how broken we are. Mm -hmm. And it is so much easier to project onto others your issues. And it is so much easier to have this external anger going out all the time and never really have to deal with the internal issues that are in your life or in the relationships that mm -hmm. you deal with every single day. So I think in this digital age, it's become very easy for believers to begin to point the finger at everybody else and to judge and be critical and be cynical instead of saying, 
saying, you know what? I actually have brokenness in my own life and I actually sin every day and I need to do better. And so I think if we were a little bit more in touch with that, we would have a little bit more tenderness and connection to the world around us and there'd be more room for grace. And that's important. And sometimes we think, well, we have to double down and tell the truth. And it's like, well, has that ever changed anyone? I mean, genuinely, I'm asking, mm. you know, when you just double down mm. on the truth and has has your little quippy statement on the Internet ever actually changed someone's mind? It's like that's not actually how it works. And it's not love and it's not the way of Jesus. And so I think we need to, to pause and consider I need to be OK with my own brokenness so that I can be OK with the brokenness of others and allow more room and space. I think that's so true. When we actually, I, I came, I'm divorced. I'm on my second marriage, mm-hmm. um, was abused in my first marriage. Mm-hmm. That That's my story. And so in the church, as a result of that, I was kicked out of my church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I guess I know yeah. that what the rejection of the church can do and how Satan capitalizes on the church when it sort of rejects you. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's helped me. It was actually a gift because it helped me in ministry realize how do you relate to someone that maybe not think, doesn't think the same way you do or act the same way you do or, or believe the same way. How can you still find common ground with that person? And I think we have forgotten that, all of us have common ground mm-hmm. if we are people. Come on. Okay, we can find some, somewhere to agree. We're yeah. so focused on disagreeing. You're a Democrat, you're a right. Republican, you're anti-vax, you're a vax, you're yes. this, you're that, whatever. There is common ground that can be found. Do you have a kid? Great. Let's talk about being a parent. Right. Let's talk about whatever. And build a relationship and a, and a, a conversation based on that. That's not on the internet. You talk about cancel culture. I want to talk about that for a second. Um, Why don't you talk to me about that? I don't want to feed you anything. I want to hear your perspective on cancel culture. Yes, I'd love to to share on this because it has become such a buzzword. But the reality is it's kind of an old practice. I mean, if you look at people like Martin Luther King Jr., when he was in his day, the church was effectively canceling him. You think about someone like Dolores Huerta, who, you know, we weren't allowed to talk about her in certain states in America just because of who she was. And so this is a practice that's been happening for a very long time within the faith community, even though it feels like a new buzzword. And then I think we have this other end of cancel culture where people just say, I don't want to be in relationship with you. I want to shut you down. I want to make sure that you you are erased from existence because I don't like how you think. It's different than me. I don't like how you vote. It's different than me. I don't like how you talk. It's different than me. And so I think there's these different levels and everything gets lumped in into this collective idea of cancel culture. And as believers, we have to leave room for redemption and restoration. And Mm -hmm. we must also be people who hold others accountable for their bad behavior because it's not acceptable for us to allow hurt and harm and abuse to continue. So we have a voice here. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Okay. That's what I was hoping you would say. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, where's she going to go with this? This is really good. I do think we do have a voice, but why do you think that the church has been silent on so many things? Um, I feel like there's almost like a radio silence on some of this stuff. I was a big uh, advocate for uh, the church too, because, because of what I have been through. I was kicked out of my church because of divorce, because I was abused, whatever. Mm. I was a big advocate for that. You would not believe how many, how many people, um, I heard from that was mad at me for speaking out about abuse and, um, it's, it's unbelievable, but they would do it privately 
uh, the, secretly, a lot of sure. people would support me, but they wouldn't say anything yes, publicly. Very common. Um, I do think that that's kind of what's missing from the narrative right now, the church. And, um, you know, speaking out in love and holding people accountable. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of people that have been almost heroes of the faith lately that we've seen whoosh, spiral downward so true. and their behavior. Some of them is not acceptable. I mean, these are, this is not allegedly things. These are things that people have co- confessed to. Um, I think we need to have a bigger, uh, influence in, in things like that as the church. What are your thoughts on that? I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think there is a responsibility on us as believers to be the kind of people who will say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done. And too often, I think we allow fear to hinder us from entering into the difficult conversations that need to be had. And it is so important that we're able to raise our voice. And you know what? This starts really young, particularly for women, because we're taught to be nice and we're taught to sit still and to look pretty and not speak up. And, you know, we culturally have been told that our voices are not important or that on significant things, we should just smile and nod. And I think that we have to overcome those cultural barriers or even familial barriers. You know, many people have suffered abuse in their childhood. Many people have grown up in a home where silence was king, where it was important mm-hmm. like to, to be silent meant that you could stay safe. And so we have to unlearn. And I talk about this a lot in the book, unlearn the things in our life, the life that are not loving and unlearn the things in our lives that actually are not producing fruit or healing or rest restoration in our lives or the lives of others so that we can boldly stand for the right things and stand for each other, not just behind closed doors. That's happened to me many times, Autumn. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And you just wish so badly somebody would stand with you in public because that is actually what makes change. And so we have to grow in our courage and we have to unlearn the fear that we inherited so that we can fully walk in love. Yeah, I feel like um, it's funny because we just recorded a whole show on fear. Is that's mm-hmm. exactly the show that we just recorded? Um, and I feel I don't know. I think this is how Satan is winning in the church. Yes. They're not realizing the courage that is in them via the Spirit of God, yeah. and the victory that is in them via the spirit of God. So they cower behind fear. Yes. Um, and I think we need some Davids to, to raise up, to rise up. And we need some Daniels to rise up, yeah. um, to join us, Ashley, as we're talking about this publicly <laughs> with everybody. Um, I want to, I want to talk to you about personal conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many people that are, <laughs> would rather peel off their own fingernails than <laughs> have conflict with anyone. And yes. this is important for healing, for accountability, like we talked about. Um, how do you do that properly? How do you do that mm. properly? Yeah. So conflict is difficult for all of us. That's the first thing I want to say. You know, I'm I'm like on a mission to normalize conflict because we have made it this thing that is so big and so overwhelming. And, you know, we sink under this idea that if we can't do it perfectly or we can't do it right, or we don't have all the right words that we shouldn't engage in conflict. And many of us are a combination of fight, flight, and freeze. And so when there's a conflict, you know, we want to, we rise up really quickly, get very aggressive, or perhaps we sweep issues under the rug, very passively, never want to talk about them, freeze completely and just keep going through the motions. Or we just run. It's like, I don't want to deal with that. Goodbye. It's not in the room. I don't even want to look at it. And we're all a combination of these things. And I'll give you an example of myself in, in every arena. I'm very okay with conflict. I can have hard conversations publicly, privately, but 
in my closest relationships, it terrifies me. It takes me so much courage to speak up in my most intimate relationships. And so there is this thing where depending on the context, you might feel more fear at work. You might feel more fear in your faith community than you do at home engaging with others in conflict. And so all of us are a combination of these things. And so what it really takes is to first normalize it. And second, know that it's going to be messy. You know, one of the things I say, and I, I give a ton of techniques in the book, but one of the things I say before I do any conflict is I say, you know, this is going to be messy. I'm not going to have all the right words. In fact, my heart might be like racing. I might, you know, say something I don't mean to say, but I know this conflict is so important and I want to have it because I love you. So from the jump, I'm already setting the tone that I don't have to be perfect and you don't have to be perfect. And learning listening skills, learning how to engage, learning when to walk away, learning when to stay. Like there's so many ways that we can begin to engage in the conflicts that are in our lives and in the personal relationships you have. You don't have to have everything resolved to still be kind and still be in relationship with one another, right? Like, or else how would we ever get along? We just have to pretend all the time. And some of, some of us are miserable doing that. We're miserable <laughs> yeah. because we're walking around all the time. Like I need to say this, can't <laughs> say this. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. You know, and I don't want that for people. It's just a skill you can learn no matter your background, no matter if your family was super volatile or they never talked about anything. Like these are all just communication skills. Nobody's born with it. Nobody knows how to do it from birth. Like it is something that we can learn over time so that we can have healthy, life-giving, reciprocal relationships with others. <laughs> and don't you think, I'm a lot like you. That's so funny. You basically just said what I am because I'm very, very, I'll be bold. Like I'll say like crazy bold things and yeah. then- with my husband, it's yeah. different. Yeah. Cause he same. would be more, more of the dominant one. <laughs> People think I'm the dominant one with my red nails and fluorescent blonde <laughs> hair, but he, he is like, he is very, very more dominant than I am. Mm. And it's even in, even in that intimate relationship, I'll be like, listen, exactly what you just said. Yeah. I need to tell you something. This is really bothering me. I'm not as in your face as I am in different places. Isn't that crazy totally. how we're like that? Yeah. And we're all like that. Like one of my dearest friends, yeah. she can fight at home till she's blue in the face. And then she <laughs> cannot speak up, you know, anywhere else. It takes so much courage for her. So the more intimate yeah. she feels with people, the more vocal she feels. And so I feel like all of us are this strange mix of those things, you know, and but it's on the other side of conflict, oh, come on, it's connection. on the other <laughs> side is yes. that's where you build friendships, yes. intimacy, yes. freedom, yes. health. Yes. Because of my ex and just what I went through in the church, that, that actually uh, sort of shaped how I uh, conflict with people. Right. Um, and I, and it, and it hindered me for a long time until I realized the gift of conflict. It doesn't yeah. have to um, be this horrible thing. You can actually, yeah. it can be messy, like you just yes. said, yes. but it's having the conversation. It's having the conversation. Most of the time mm -hmm. when I have a conflict with someone, it brings us closer. It doesn't end Same. the relationship. It'll bring us closer. Yeah. Yes. Girl, Same. come on. This book going <laughs> to change people's lives. Oh my gosh. We're running out of time. <laughs> what, what, wait, what do I want to talk to you about next? 
Um, talk to me about loving thy neighbor. I love this. I have a whole spiel on the loving thy neighbor. I want to hear everything you have to say about it. This is awesome. Yeah. So it's so important to me. You know, I've been working in the justice field, particularly around anti-human trafficking initiatives and mass incarceration initiatives for the last 15 years. And so I'm very passionate about this and it's important to me because love thy neighbor in the Bible is, is really communicating that we're supposed to love everyone. Even again, if we don't agree with them, we don't think like them, they don't look like us. And when Jesus tells that wonderful story about the good Samaritan, it's so powerful. Like if you just suspend judgment, there's two, two priests and um, religious people who walk by a man in a ditch. And if you were just to suspend your judgment, maybe they didn't see him. Maybe they had really important things to do. Maybe they really just, you know, didn't have time, right. To stop. I think we all do this every single day. So instead of making them the bad guy, we'll just assume the best. And then Jesus tells the story about the Samaritan who comes and he stops And that is so powerful because the religious leaders actually believed that the Samaritan was a heretic. So Jesus is telling this story because he knows that their ideological, theological beliefs clash and that they think the Samaritan does faith the wrong way. And so when he Mm. stops and makes this point that, hey, it's the Samaritan who gets down, it's the Samaritan who puts him up in an inn and pays for everything and and even tells the innkeeper, hey, if if he spends more than I've given you, I'll come back and make it right. And Jesus says, which one of these people is doing mercy? And of Mm. course they say the good Samaritan. And he says, go and do likewise. Like Jesus has this thing about mercy Mm. and mercy you know, from Christ says, I don't care if you deserve it or not deserve it. What I see is that you're a human being made in the image of God and that deserves honor and it deserves respect. And when you're hurting, it means I stop and that I should be paying attention and that I should care. And I think too often believers have said, I'm going to love the neighbor who looks like me and I'm going to demonize the one who doesn't, the one who just does justice the wrong way. You know, the one who decides to wear a mask or not wear a mask, I'm going to put them out. The one who decides to get a vaccine or not get a vaccine, the one who has their kids doesn't have their kids in school, I'm going to put them out. And we just find all these excuses and reasons to not love our neighbor and to judge the way that they do their life, to judge the way that they do justice, to judge the way that they love. And instead, Jesus is making the point, hey, yeah, he doesn't have the same beliefs as you, but look at him stop and Mm. do mercy. Mm. And so it's important that we return to mercy. And Walter Brueggemann, very quickly, he says, that mercy talks about Phyllis Trickle. And he says that she talks about mercy being womb-like mother love. Mm. And that it is this place that feels like nurturing. It is this place that feels like home. It is this place that feels safe and comfortable and warm. And that is how mercy is supposed to feel. And Walter Brueggemann says that, you know, mercy is giving oneself away for the sake of the neighborhood. Mm. And so what would it look like for believers everywhere Mm. to adopt womb-like mother love, to give themselves away for the sake of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. What would our cities look like? What would our communities look like? How much of a difference? What would that public witness that we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier, how would it begin to change and shift if people knew us for mercy? Yeah. I believe that would be a real powerful thing. And that Mm -hmm. would change that perception that I read earlier in the interview, the, um, Oh my gosh. I don't want to get it wrong. A hostile group of judgmental hypocrites. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That is so, that is the most terrifying sentence ever, but mercy, yes. mercy. I love what you said in suspending judgment. Maybe that's a great yes. takeaway from this interview to the listener today. Let's watch what we judge. Let's watch who we judge. People can look at me today with married 17 years with four kids and blah, blah, blah. And they can mm. assume something but they have no idea what it cost me 
to get where I am. And we are, have built our, our whole thought processes behind us assuming something about somebody else. I love that suspend. How can you, listener, suspend your judgment today on your neighbor? How can you serve them? How can you love them? So, oh, I love that. I love that. That is so wealthy. It is just, oh, I yeah. love it. Okay. So good. Okay. So we all need this book now because we're all convicted. (laughs) The the name of the book is Love is the Resistance. Learn to Disagree. I can't remember who said it. I wish I could remember because that would make this so much more smarter. Um, Someone said we've lost the art of disagreement. We've lost the art of disagreement. Why? Where did it go? Let's bring that back. Let's normalize that. Um, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> learn to disagree, resolve conflicts you've been avoiding, and create real change. Real change. Ashley Abercrombie was my guest today. Ashley, where can everyone get a hold of you? Because they're going to want to know how to get a hold of you. Yes. So I spend the most time online on Instagram. And then over on ashabercrombie.org, you can download free, you know, Bible studies and different things like that. I have a book study or a a book club kit. If you'd want to go through this book together with some friends, there's so much good stuff for you over there. So I would love, love to connect with you guys any way that I can. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your heart. I think we have a lot of the same heart. Um, I think so. I, I like you so much. I know. You too. I'm like, oh, I like her. I, I like I like this, this one a lot. This is good. This is good. Um, but just thank you. Thank you for, I know sometimes you can get really vulnerable and I've written books myself and you just get so vulnerable. And I know what it costs you to write something like this. And I just want to say thank you so much for your sacrifice because not everyone's going to see it, but I know God did. <laughs> And, um, man, I really believe the payoff of this in heaven is just going to be great for you. So thank you so much, Mm. Ashley. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Autumn. All right. Thank you guys for listening. You know, I love you so much. And you can catch me next week right back here on the Autumn Miles Show. We'll see you then. To find out how you can get a copy of Gangster Prayer, Autumn's latest book, go to autumnmiles.com.